Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. Why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles. Let's open up to Hebrews chapter 11 and jump straight in. We've got an incredible text we're going to look at together this morning as we're walking through what is really one of the great chapters in your Bible, Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to be around verse 9. Just a minute, if you need a copy of God's Word, there's a copy in the seat pocket in front of you. That's our gift to you. So you can grab that this morning and follow along. We walk through Hebrews chapter 11. Now just to remind you and kind of set the context, maybe you're new, maybe you haven't been following along with us, what's going on here in Hebrews 11? Let me just kind of set the context a little bit this morning this way. Uh, last week, Jennifer, my wife, and our two little girls, we toured the nation's capital together. We went to Washington, D.C. If you've been there, you know there's a few things in Washington you've got to see You've got to see the monuments, you've got to see the Capitol building, you've, you've got to drive by the White House and just kind of wave at President Biden, you know, as you're coming by. You've got to see the Smithsonian Museums. Uh, the Smithsonian Museums, you've got to see them first because admission is free, that's a big thing. And, and then the, the museums particularly, uh, we spent some time in the American History Museum. I love walking through the American History Museum because basically what it is, is it is to see our nation's history lived out through the lives of men and women, now watch, who really embody what it means to be an American. So you see this lived out in the lives of these men and women as you walk through this museum. It's an incredible place to go. Now, in a much more, infinitely more important way, Hebrews chapter 11 is like walking through a history museum. Hebrews chapter 11 is, is a walk through God's redemptive history lived out through the lives of men and women who embody, now this is important for us this morning, who embody for us what it means to live lives of faith. What does it look like to live lives of faith? And that's what you see over and over and over again here in Hebrews chapter 11. Remember, the author of Hebrews is writing this letter to a Hebrew community and he's calling them to faith in the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's calling them to faith and he's reminding them that the only way to access God, the only way to know God, the only way to walk with God, the only way to be pleasing to God is by faith in Jesus and Jesus alone. And he shows example after example after example of those who have gone before them from Abel all the way down through Noah and Moses and Abraham. These pictures of what it means to walk by faith. And he's calling his readers to this faith in Jesus, who, as we've been walking through Hebrews, is the better sacrifice. He is the better substitute. He is the better covenant. So there's this call to this thing called faith. Now, I don't want to even begin to convey this morning that I've got this concept of faith figured out and neither do you. The Bible says so much about this idea or really this posture of faith that we are to have in dependence and trust in God and His Word. What does it mean? What does it look like? 
We've learned some things about faith. Again, that faith is the only way that we can draw near to God. Faith is the only way that we can have fellowship with God. Faith is the only way that we can be pleasing to God. Hebrews 10, 38, we read it just a few weeks ago, says this, But my righteous one shall live by faith. Hebrews 11.6, we looked at it last week, Pastor Paul walked us through it, said without faith it is impossible to please God. So we're all trying to learn and continue to grow in this thing called faith. We tried to give you some handles last week of how faith is defined. It's not a perfect definition, but it helps us as we walk through this text. You can define this way, or faith this way, faith is confident trust in Jesus. In Jesus, in his word, and his character, and so appreciate what Pastor David said this morning. Listen, faith is ultimately defined not by how it feels, not by even how much faith you have. Faith is ultimately defined by its object. Who? What is your faith rooted in? Faith is confident trust. In Jesus, it is the posture of our life. But also we saw last week, faith is expressed. See, one of the concepts you see in Hebrews, and you see this throughout the Bible, that faith is not merely something we say. Faith is not merely something we declare. Genuine faith in the life of a person will be evident. It will be demonstrated. You can see it. James said one of those really tricky things in James chapter 2. He said, look, you can say you have faith, but faith without works is, you might know, dead. In other words, you can claim to have a certain kind of faith. You can talk all about faith, but faith that is not evident in the way you live, James says, that's a dead faith. It's not genuine faith. So faith is defined by its object. Faith is confident trust in Jesus. It is expressed. We saw this last week in submission. It is expressed in devotion. It is expressed in endurance. And as we're going to see this morning, it's expressed. Genuine faith is expressed in a life of obedience. A posture of obedience. So as we dive into this text this morning, we're going to start around verse 9. We're going to walk through the faith of a man named Abraham in your Bible. And I want to just give you some questions this morning. I'm going to kind of frame as we walk through these. You don't have to write these down. We'll circle back to these, but it's basically these. For you this morning, do you possess genuine faith? Maybe another question is, is that faith, if I possess it, is it growing and is it deepening? And not the amount of my faith, but is my trust in Jesus growing? Am I depending on him and his word and his promises for every area of my life? Is that faith evident? Is there evidence in my faith, in my life? What is it? And then finally, I'll just say this. Don't just listen this morning as a disciple. Listen this morning as a disciple maker and always be asking, how only am I growing in my faith? How can I help those around me grow in faith? Because listen, that's what a body of Christ does. 
Faith is a community effort, amen? We need one another. And that's why the writer of Hebrews is walking you through redemptive history to point you to men and women like Abel and Abraham and Moses who were imperfect but were continually growing and deepening in their confident trust of Jesus and his word. Are we growing like that? Are we helping one another grow like that? So... All that said, Hebrews 11, verse 8, I'm going to walk through quite a few verses here, and I'm going to come back, I'm going to give you some big ideas this morning, trying to make it real applicable to our lives. Verse 8, by faith, Abraham. I want you to stop right there for just a minute, we're in trouble, if that's as far as you got, three words, well hang on, introduce a new character here in the hall of faith. It's not new to you, but it's this man called Abraham. Remember, the readers of this letter originally were Jews. For a Jew, there's no greater model of faith than Abraham. You could even call Abraham the Jew, if you will. And the author here is trying to say, look, if Abraham walked by faith, and Abraham's life was characterized by faith in Messiah, he's calling these Jews of his day, place faith. The faith of Abraham was the faith in the Messiah. He's calling them to that same faith. Galatians chapter 3 verse 9 refers to Abraham as the man of faith. So what is a life of faithfulness? Not perfect, flawed, has its bumps, ups and downs, you know that. What does this life of faith look like in this man Abraham by faith? Abraham, verse 8, obeyed. When he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going. And we're going to talk about all these in just a few minutes, so I'm going to read through this. By faith, he went to live in a land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of that same promise. Verse 10, how did he do that? For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. What a verse. Verse 11, by faith Sarah, now this is Abraham's wife, herself received the power to conceive. Now remember, we're going to talk about it briefly, but it was Abraham and Sarah to whom the promise was given that from you will be a multitude of peoples, a great nation. The nation of Israel comes from Abraham and Sarah. And from that nation would come a Messiah who would be a blessing to the entire world. Verse 10, verse 11, by faith Sarah received power to conceive. Even when she was past the age, that's a really polite way to say she was really old. You're not old, you're just past the age. She was really old. Since she considered him, God, faithful, who had promised. Verse 12, therefore from one man and him as good as dead, Abraham was an old guy too, by the way, as good as dead were born the descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised. Now the these here is most likely referring to the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These guys died never seeing with their own eyes the complete fulfillment of the promise. 
but they continued to walk by faith. End of verse 13, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth, verse 14, for people who speak thus make it clear that they were seeking a homeland, something better than what they could see with their own human eyes. And if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. What does that mean? Really quick. There's always excuses to not walk by faith. Always. Verse 16. But as it is, they, the patriarchs, desired a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. That's why throughout the Bible, God refers to himself as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Not ashamed to be called their God. Verse 17, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, to whom he would receive the promise, was in fact offering up his only son. Of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead. From which, figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back. We'll talk about that in a minute. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob, his son, and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. Verse 22, then Joseph... At the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. We'll try to talk about all that very briefly. Here's your big truth this morning. Simply this. Faith in Jesus brings obedience. Faith in Jesus, genuine saving faith, will demonstrate itself in our lives, in lives of obedience. Not perfect obedience, but this ongoing posture of obedience that you see lived out in the life of Abraham. Faith is confident trust in Jesus, expressed in submission, devotion, endurance, and, as we'll see this morning, an ongoing life of obedience to God and His Word. Now. I'll give you some big ideas that flow out of this quickly. Look back at verse 8. Let's see if we can dig some of these truths of the faithfulness of Abraham out. Apply them to our lives. Verse 8, by faith, Abraham obeyed. Now, what was the specific instance of obedience here that God is talking about? Well, verse 8, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. As he went out, as he was obeying, he was not knowing where he was even going. Let me give you a first big idea and we'll break this down. It's this, the faithful obey the call of God. Abraham obeyed God. Now let me give you some quick background to help you understand this text about Abraham. Abraham grew up not in Canaan, not in the land of promise. Abraham grew up in a land called Ur. Ur of the Chaldees. It was Mesopotamia, modern-day Iraq. You say, I don't really know anything about that. That's okay. But we do know it was a place of great wealth. It was an advanced society. There was a place of comfort. It was a place of security. Abraham's family was there. Abraham probably had economic stability there. Abraham had an identity there. And God calls him out 
from that. Now, that land where Abraham came out from was a pagan land. It was an idolatrous land. And just so you know, Abraham was one of the chief pagans. You got to understand, God didn't look down in life of Abraham and go, man, Abraham, you got it going on. You are such a godly guy. I'm going to show, I'm going to give you faith. I'm going to reveal myself to you because you're so godly. Abraham was a pagan. Abraham was far from God until Acts chapter 7, verse 2 and 3. You don't have to look it up. Stephen is preaching in the book of Acts. He gives a little bit of backstory on Abraham calling them to faith. Same God of Abraham. He says, and Stephen said, brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when it was in Mesopotamia, when he lived in Haran. That's another way of saying Ur. It's a beautiful thing about faith. God initiated and began the faith in Abraham. Here's Abraham, this pagan. Wasn't looking for God. I don't know how all that works, but the Bible says God in his grace chose to reveal his glory to Abraham. And Abraham began the journey of faith. Was it just a moment of faith? It began this posture of faith. Continues on, Acts chapter 7, and God said to him, go out from your land and from your kindred and go to the land that I will show you. So Stephen here is just repeating what we just read in Hebrews, which is repeating what was given to us in Genesis 12. Here's another thing I want you to see. Faith arises from and is sustained by the word of God. Brothers and sisters, I can't stress that enough for us. Pastor Paul mentioned this last week. Faith is initiated as a work of God. Ours is this response of faith. Faith is initiated practically in our lives by what God says. God spoke to Abraham. God revealed himself to Abraham. Without chasing all the theological nuances to it, Abraham then responded in faith. But that faith may have begun to some degree there, but it was sustained and carried on by the word of God. You say, I'm struggling in faith. I'm struggling to believe. I'm struggling to have confidence. You can tie it back directly to the place you are giving God's word in your life. Period. See that in the life of Abraham. Faith begins with God. Faith is ar arises from, is sustained by the word of God. And then we see this call on Abraham's life. What was his step of obedience? Let me go back and read it from Genesis 12 really quick. It says this. This is the Genesis version of what we're reading in Hebrews about Abraham. It says, now the Lord said to Abraham, go. Go from your country, from your kindred, from your family, from your father's house. One of the aspects of the obedience of Abraham we see here was this. Faithful obedience always calls us from something. Abraham is being called from. He's, he's being called from this idolatrous trust in these earthly comforts. He's being called from the familiarity that he had. He's being called from his own kin. Maybe even it's from his own former identity. You could put it this way. What you see here is genuine faith always calls us from our old self. 
to die to that old self. And this is a picture of this is ongoing faith in our lives. In the same way, continue on. He's called from his country, from his kindred, from his father's house to the land, God says, that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. At the same time, faithful obedience calls us to something. That's the Christian life, by the way. It's not just a moment that begins your Christian life. This is the ongoing posture of the Christian life. We, by faith, continually exposed to God's Word, and He's calling us to leave behind those lesser gods and those things that we put our confidence in and those things we put our trust in that can't hold us up and has continually called us to run in faith, to grow in our dependence on who Jesus is and His Word The Christian life is constantly characterized by faith and repentance. Faith and repentance. Faith and repentance. You see that here in the life of Abraham. Jesus said it this way. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life, continue to hold on to these things, will lose it. But whoever loses his life, turns from these lesser things in faith and runs to me for my sake, will save it. Will find life. It's faith. It's the obedience of faith, running from, running to, verse 4. So Abraham went. He obeyed as the Lord had told him. And Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. So we see that faithful obedience or the faithful walk in obedience to the call of God. Now keep going, verse 9. What did it look like? What did his life look like there in the promised land? By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. Verse 10, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Here's your second big idea. The faithful obey by looking forward to God's future promises. So you have to understand here, it says that Abraham lived in this land. He he leaves Ur, he leaves his homeland, he goes to this land of Canaan, the land of promise. But he continually, it says, he lived in the land of promise and he lived as a foreigner in the land. Why does it say that and what does that mean? Abraham lived in Canaan as a foreigner his entire life. Why? Watch this. Because in his lifetime, the promised land never became the possessed land. In other words, the promise that this land would one day be Israel's and would be owned by the nation of Israel, would be a land for the people of Israel, never became reality in in Abraham's life. So he's living in this land that's not even his own. And he's living in this place as a stranger and an alien, but continues in faithfulness how brothers and sisters I can't tell you the application to you and me this land we live in is not our home we are not home yet but how do we live in this land as a stranger and an alien you see it in verse 10 again for Abraham was looking that's a faith statement 
His eye of faith was on something not that he could see with his human eye, but that had been promised by God. And within the promises of God, the promises of God are even a greater reality to us than the things we can see with our human eye. Did y'all get that? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Our faith has a substance. It is more real when it's rooted in the promises of God than even what we can see with our own eye. Abraham lived in a land that was not his. He lived as a stranger, an alien. Why? Because his eyes were on the future promise of God, a city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. Abraham was looking beyond the earthly fulfillment of the land of Canaan. He was looking beyond Canaan to what Canaan foreshadowed, the ultimate kingdom of God that will be ours when Jesus returns in all of his glory. Now, beloved, you need to know something about this journey of faith that we live in. Many of the promises of God that we build our lives on today will not be fulfilled in this life. You know that, right? Many of the promises that we're staking our future on, our eternity on, we're not going to see the fulfillment in this life. So therefore, like Abraham, we're looking. We're looking and, and trusting and hoping in that which we can't even see with our human eye. You know why? Because God has declared it to be so. And God has given us promise after promise after promise. For example, Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. It's not on the screen. I'll just read it to you. The Apostle Paul says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're waiting for Him. The reality of His return is even a greater reality than what we can see with our human eyes. He will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exhortation that he has of his power to subject all things to his will. We are waiting for a great city, a great king who is coming one day, and it is a greater reality than even what we can see with our own eyes. It's a walk of faith. Many of the promises of God that we build our lives on today will not be fulfilled in this life. But some are. Some are. What do you mean? Keep going. Verse 11. By faith, Sarah, Abraham's wife, Received the power to conceive even when she was past the age. Since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore from one man and him as good as dead. Were born the descendants and stars of heaven. As innumerable as the grains of sand by the seashore. What is this all about? Here's your next big idea. The faithful obey over long seasons of waiting. Very quickly, God gave Abraham, God gave Sarah a promise. You're going to be the father of a multitude. Problem. If you know your Bible, Abraham was really old. Sarah was really old. She was barren. 
and basically gave them a promise which could not be achieved by human effort, human ability. There was no human way to bring this about, only by the supernatural promise and power of God. So they waited. They waited for the birth of that son for 25 years. They waited, and their faith faltered at times. They came up with schemes to help God out. You could read that in Genesis. But then finally, through an endurance of faith, because genuine faith always endures to the end, their faith endured. God kept his promise, and the promised son Isaac was born. God kept his promise. Through all that, Abraham's faith grew, his confidence in God's word grew, his trust in God's character grew. Isaac, that boy, grew. His parents grew in their love for their son. And you can imagine this boy, Isaac, represented the promises of God and the future promises of God. They said, look, through this boy... Is going to be your identity through this boy. Is going to be Israel through this boy. Is going to be the, the multitude that's going to be a blessing to the earth. And that's why when you get to the next journey of Abraham's faith, it's pretty shocking what God calls Abraham to do. Now we're going to go back and look at it in Hebrews 11 in just a moment. But I want to read you a quick account in Genesis 22 of the next step in Abraham's faith. Quickly, Genesis 22. You can turn there if you want it. It'll be on the screen. After the fulfillment of the promise of his son Isaac, after the passing of several years, Isaac's probably in his high teens now, maybe 20, 21 years old. Genesis 22, 1 says, now after these things, God tested. Now remember, God never tests a person to tempt them to sin. God always tests to reveal what's really there. So he's going to test Abraham to reveal the genuine faith that's really there. So he tests Abraham, Genesis 22:1, and says to him, Abraham, Abraham, Abraham says, here I am. He said, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will tell you. The journey of faith journey of obedience is rarely easy. You say, am I reading that right? Is that what God is calling Abraham to do? He's calling him to offer what is the most valuable human thing Abraham has and to offer him back as a burnt offering on a mountain that he will show him. How are you going to handle that, Abraham? How does this step of obedience fit into your understanding? Verse 3, so Abraham rose early in the morning, probably didn't get a lot of sleep, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him, took his son Isaac, he cut the wood for the burnt offering. Now, if you know me, you know this is one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. I could go for the next three hours on this. I'm going to resist and restrain myself. But here's the point. Abraham is already preparing to obey. See, faith that is not deepening is trying to find ways out of obedience, trying to talk ourselves out of faithfulness. It doesn't make sense. Genuine faith that's growing is always preparing to obey. He cuts the wood. 
And he prepares to do what God has called him to do. On the third day, they go on this journey, Abraham and Isaac, and they lift up their eyes to the place. Verse 5, and Abraham said to his young men, you guys stay here with the donkey. I and the boy Isaac, we're going to go over there and we are going to worship You see, I don't know if I would characterize this as worship, but Abraham does. First time the word worship appears in your Bible, by the way, and the true literal translation of this is Abraham says, we are going to go over there and worship Isaac and me, and we are going to return to you. That's what it literally said. Verse 6. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, and he laid it on Isaac, his son, The son is bearing the instrument of his own death as he walks up this hill. And he took in his hand, Abraham, the fire and the knife, and the two of them went on together. And Isaac said to his dad, which is a reasonable question, Father, he's done this before. And he says, here I am, my son. Behold the fire and the wood. But where's the lamb? Dad, have you forgotten something? (laughs) Looks like there's a sacrifice that's going to be going on, but I think you forgot the lamb. And look what Abraham says in great faith. Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb? Verse 8, Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Great statement of faith on Abraham's part. Let me show you another great statement of faith. Isaac went on with him. Great statement of faith on the son's part. You know where that boy learned to walk in faith? By watching his daddy. And the two of them go on together. You see this picture here of what God's doing. Many times God is doing more through our faithful obedience than we even realize. Yes, he's growing Abraham. Yes, he's growing Isaac. But even here, all the way back in Genesis 22, he's presenting a picture of the future Messiah that would bear his own cross, climb the hill, and die in your place and my place. Many times in your life and my life, beloved, God is doing much more than we can even realize as we walk in faithful obedience to him. See that? And they came to the place which God had told him. Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on top of the altar. There's much about that. Abraham's an old codger. Isaac's a young strapping boy for that old guy to lay him on the altar. Isaac had to be willing. No one took his life from him. He laid it down of his own accord. Picture of Jesus to God. Verse 12, verse 11, Abraham, actually verse 10. Then Abraham reached out his hand, took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord came to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he says, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. The faith of Abraham in the Messiah, he obeys here, watch this, because he treasures God above everything else. Now I know. You say, how is Abraham able? And God provides the sacrifice. God keeps his promise. How is Abraham able to carry out this step of obedience that we read and go, man, I don't know, I'd ever be ready to do anything like that. That's such a step of obedience. Go back to Hebrews, really quick. 
The author of Hebrews gives you a quick commentary and applies it to us. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac your offspring shall be named. How did Abraham do that? Verse 19. For he considered... He reckoned it, he trusted it, he promised that God had said this is going to happen, there's going to be offspring from Isaac, there's going to be a great nation, I don't know how you're going to do it God, I assume if I carry out this sacrifice, you'll just have to raise him from the dead, I don't know how you're going to do it, but the Bible says Abraham considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which Figuratively, he did receive him back as a picture of resurrection. Last big idea, the faithful obey God by believing God is able to keep his promise. So what you see here over and over and over and over is a picture of what it looks like. What does it mean to walk in faithfulness to God and to his promises and to his word? Now, I'm going to ask the team just to come on up and begin to play. We're going to move into a brief time of response, and then we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And I don't want you to check out on me. I want you to stay with me. How do we respond to this very quickly this morning? Remember, faith is confident trust in Jesus, in his word, in his promises. It's expressed in obedience and submission and worship and yieldedness and devotion and all these things. The faithful obey the call of God. We see that. The faithful obey by looking forward to God's promises. The faithful obey over long seasons of waiting. And the faithful obey by believing God is able to keep his promises. And you say, man, I get all that. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take my Bible and I'm going to focus and I'm going to spend time and I'm going to try to mimic the faith of Abraham. Love what David said at the beginning of the service. If you missed that, let me just make sure you get that. Call of God is not for you and I to try to go mimic the faith of Abraham. Call of God is for you and I to read, ponder, see this, and run in faith to the God of Abraham. So how do you know that? Well, it helps us in chapter 12. It says, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and run with endurance the race that is set before us. How do you do that? Fixing your eyes on Jesus because he's the author. He's the sustainer. He's the one who will perfect. He is the one who completes. We turn our eyes and our gaze on King Jesus as the source and sustainer of faith. Hallelujah. What a Savior. I want to ask you just to bow your heads there for just one minute. We're going to prepare to celebrate the Lord's Supper together in just a moment. Before I pray, I want to ask you just these questions like we had at the beginning. 
do you possess genuine saving faith at all? In that time, you've come and you've run to Christ as Savior and Redeemer and Him alone, turned from sin and embraced Him as your only means to know God. Is your trust, your confidence, your dependence on God and His Word, is that growing and deepening and maturing? And if so, what evidence is there of it in your life? Finally, how are you helping others grow in their faith? What does that look like in your life? Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters this morning. And Father, I pray as we hear these stories today, Lord, that our response would be to fix our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ, the author and the perfecter of faith. Lord, help us to grow in dependence on your character and your promises and your word. Lord, without faith, it's impossible to please you. You are the beginning and the source and the continuance of our faith. Lord Jesus, turn our eyes to you.